Hello and welcome back to the Mom Strong Podcast. That's right. Today we have our very first episode of the Mom Strong Podcast featuring Becky Bonaventura from Rutgers University. Whenever I started this podcast, because I am going to be a dad, I started only talking to dads. I believe, though, with the growing presence of females in the strength and conditioning profession and in high-performance sport in general, it is very important that we have moms on this podcast to discuss what it is like to be a mom and a high-performance coach at the same time. Becky Bonaventura, who is currently at Rutgers University uh, with Olympic sports, just had her first child, a daughter. Uh, in July of 2020. So she is a collegiate strength and conditioning coach. She has had her first kid during a pandemic. And so she is bringing a lot of experience um, and a lot of really great stories to the table today in this conversation. Um, Amongst many things that we cover, she discusses how she optimizes herself at the beginning of each day to make sure that even though she has a lot on her plate, she is still bringing her best to the table for her daughter, for her husband, for her athletes, and for everyone that she works with at Rutgers. We discuss the need for young uh, strength and conditioning professionals that are moms to set an example for young female coaches that want to do this for a career. And we also discuss what the profession needs to do as a whole to help moms realize that being a strength and conditioning coach and being a mom is something that can go hand in hand for the duration of entire career. So again, Becky Bonaventura, this is a fantastic conversation that we have today. And I hope if you are a young female strength coach, if you are a new mom in the profession, um, or if you are a veteran strength coach that, that has been a mom for many years, I hope that you enjoy this conversation. Thank you as always so much for your support. And here we go, Becky Bonaventura, Mom Strong, episode one. All right, welcome back to the Dad Strength Podcast. And today's episode is the first Mom Strong Podcast. I'm really excited to have Coach Becky Bonaventura from Rutgers University on today. Uh, Coach Becky, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Like I said, um, you came highly recommended by Mary Kate Fight, who was the the first mom that we had on. I had Adam and Mary Kate on together, uh, but this is the first primary mom strong episode. So I'm very, very excited to dive into this. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much of the introduction. I want to let you run with that. So coach Becky Bonaventura, why don't you tell us a little more about yourself and where you're at right now and also introduce us uh, to your current family situation. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Excited to chat with you today. Um, This is my second year at Rutgers. Uh, I work with the women's volleyball, rowing, tennis, and golf programs, and just really blessed to be part of a great staff there led by Dave Van Dyke, our director. Um, So family situation right now, uh, married with a seven-month-old daughter, and uh, it's been interesting and crazy uh, having having our first kid in the middle of a pandemic. Um, if If you ask anyone parenting advice, they can give you parenting advice, but not in the middle of a pandemic. Nobody's done that before. So, so we're figuring it out one day at a time. Um, but no, really blessed to be at Rutgers and, and um, you know, just uh, figuring out this parenting thing out uh, as, as we go. Yeah. And, and as you're a strength coach at, at a power five school, which, which has got to be tough. And you listed off your teams there. How many athletes in total are you in charge of? Total athletes? Yeah. Um, about 120. About 120 athletes. And then before we were talking, you also said that you were the intern coordinator, correct? Correct. 
Okay. So 120 athletes, intern coordinator, new mom, middle of the pandemic. How in the heck do you manage to, to do all of that? Uh, you know, we, one of the things we talked about to Mary Kate about was just the amount of hats that her and Adam wear. Right. So it obviously seems like you have a lot of hats in, in your daily life as well. So, you know, like you said, you had, you had your daughter in the pandemic, right? So maybe you had a little bit of time to kind of figure out this routine or maybe the nine months leading up to the birth, who knows, but you know, what have you done to make this, this job and this professional life and personal life a little more sustainable for yourself? Yeah. So I think having, having her in the middle of the pandemic actually was a bit of a blessing in disguise. Uh, my husband is also in college coaching. He's a wrestling coach and typically the fall semester would have been wild um, with him going back into coaching um, and myself as well. But because of the area that we live in, in Hoboken, New Jersey, they're taking it very seriously. And so he was able to work from home and, and take care of Lene so that I could, the moment my athletes were back on campus, I could also be there with them. So that was a huge piece of, of it for us this year. If it wasn't the case, we would have figured it out. But, but that definitely for us personally, um, was something that we couldn't have anticipated and, and really helped um, in terms of how I personally manage the, the stress and the, the responsibility uh, of doing it all is uh, getting up about an hour and a half before I have to hit the road. Um, so my alarm clock goes off about 530 every morning. Um, and, and that's how I have to start my day in order to be my best self for my athletes, be my best self for my family, for my husband, for my daughter. Um, so starting out the morning, um, I write down five things that, that I'm grateful for. And it's, it's little things, it's stuff that's happened in the last 24 to 48 hours. Um, it's the great cup of coffee that I'm sipping as I write that list because I, I do need it at that hour. Um, but, but that's how I start out every day. Um, and then I, I read a short devotional and then I write out 10 things that I'm working towards in my life, whether that's personal or professional, so that I know that even if I don't achieve all of those things every day, those are the 10 things that if those have been achieved in a decade from now, um, that, that I'm headed in the right direction. Um, so those are just guiding thoughts that span from um, you know, my, uh, who I want to be as a wife, uh, what I want to do in terms of you know, maintaining um, my workouts and, and being a transformational coach, as well as eventually, um, you know, getting out of student debt and having a million dollar net worth um, just because of, of taking care of finances and realizing that all of that plays into um, being a good parent and being a good coach and, and a mentor um, for those in my life. So that hour and a half time span, I make sure I have a good breakfast that's going to fuel me. Uh, typically, my athletes, if they ever listen to this, will laugh because I, I often ask them, hey, what'd you have for breakfast? And a lot of times it's like, well, I had practice at six and so I didn't get to it. Um, but I always want to have an answer for them of, of what I had for breakfast. It's a small thing, but I know it's really easy to just skip over. Um, but having a good breakfast and going through that morning routine, um, truly, I feel like that sets me up to be able to, to be an effective coach um, and to be an effective wife and, and mom. I love that. And, uh, you know, one of the questions I like to ask guests on the show is what hobbies do you have? And you mentioned, you know, before we started recording, you don't have time for hobbies, but you have time to establish positive daily habits. And I actually love the way that you put that, right? Because sometimes we feel like we may kind of have to have a hobby kind of to keep us, you know, our, our mentals clear and kind of give us an outlet, which is 100% true, right? But 
like you said, a lot of times we are so busy with, with the job of being a strength and conditioning coach um, that we, we just don't have time for it, right? So what can you do in order to, to set yourself up or, or create those habits in order to give yourself the most optimal experience, right? Or the most optimal platform that you can then work from. Um, quick question about when, when, when you were setting these, these habits up, did you start to anticipate this ahead of time? You know, uh, but you know, during the nine, te- you know, say the 40 weeks of pregnancy, did you start to create this morning routine and start to kind of really dial it in? And uh, was there trial and error? Did you try some stuff in your morning routine that, you know, just didn't stick? You know, for example, I've tried meditation in the morning so much and it just doesn't stick for me, right? I've found other outlets that do work for kind of, you know, creating that positive mental headspace to start my day. But what did that look like in the 40 weeks leading up to the birth of your daughter? Were you able to try this out or was this an idea that you had after the, after your daughter was born? Yeah. So it was actually something that I started out just right at the beginning of, of 2020, not necessarily, you know, new year's resolution. It just happened that it was something that I started, um, right in January. And then, um, it was, it was going and then, you know, the world shut down, um, for, for both my husband and I. And so it was something that I maintained throughout, um, you know, the craziness of March and April. Um, and as uh, I wasn't able to go into the weight room anymore, and I was kind of feeling rather large at that point, um, being very pregnant, um, my workouts didn't look the same as they used to. So, um, my habits did slightly change. So during quarantine and March, April and, and May leading up to the birth of my daughter, um, it looked like going outside and, and walking until I felt like it was a workout. So whether that was, you know, mile and a half, three miles, whatever it was towards the end when she was 12 days late, it was me walking as much as I could to try to make her hurry up and, and, and join us <laughs> in this world. Um, but, <laughs> um, but it did shift a little bit. Um, so at first I started out trying to write down 10 things that I was grateful for. And I, I just didn't have time. I mean, like, especially that early in the morning, sometimes it's, it's a little foggy and sometimes I don't have the most brilliant things that I write down, but I just want to make sure that I start the day, not stressing, not thinking about all the things that I have to do. Um, but I get up early enough that I have that time to myself and I don't o- open up work emails. It can wait until 7am. Um, and so that, that is the time that, that I take care of it. Um, so it has slightly shifted, um, throughout the last year. Um, you know, some things have stayed, the walks are no longer a thing. Now I get to work out again, which is awesome. Um, but, but in terms of, you know, like that gratitude and working toward those, those 10 different areas of my life. Um, and even those have shifted, um, some of my phrasing in terms of, um, you know, I was working towards, um, training for a triathlon, uh, but all the races got shut down, um, during, during this past year. And so I had to shift that, that one a little bit. Um, and just the phrasing to make sure that it was, it was something positive that I was working towards and that it wasn't something that was making me feel less than, but this is something that I'm working towards. And so in that way, um, making it a positive habit to start the day. Uh, that's awesome. And you did bring up the workouts. And this was something that I definitely wanted to chat with you about. Uh, I work with a lot of older female athletes, some of them are, that are moms as well. Um, and for, for athletes and strength coaches and just women that like to train in general, right? Whenever you become pregnant and going into the birth and even postpartum, there's just so many changes that are happening to your body, right? So like you said, just straight up, the workouts were not like they use, usually are, right? There's something there had to change. 
So one, how did you kind of deal with that frustration that comes along with that, right? Especially if you are, you know, whether you're a goal setter when it comes to working out or whether you're just a, a very high performer and you're used to doing very advanced level exercise, weightlifting, you know, even in CrossFit, right? If that's your thing, right? Um, one, how did you deal with the, the frustration that comes along with that? And then on the, on the back end of that, how did you deal with adjusting that in order to still be able to check that exercise box? What did that look like for you? Yeah, no, I think a, a big piece of that um, is thankfully I, I don't necessarily find my identity in, in being an athlete anymore. I don't find my identity in, you know, being the strongest person in the room. I'm okay with my athletes being stronger than me um, and accepted that, that to be a really good coach, I don't have to be the strongest person, the most powerful person, the fastest person in the room. Um, and so I think that mentality definitely, definitely helped me. Um, and also just, it, it forced me to, to be a better coach and, and use my words. Um, you know, towards the end, I wasn't necessarily demoing things, um, quite as well, um, with everything shutting down in March. Um, that was when stuff was getting really hard to set up at, five months pregnant, like moving boxes, getting all the racks set up, um, you know, putting weights on the bar for my athletes so that it was, you know, their, their starting weight. Um, that got a little challenging <laughs> towards the end, but, uh, thankfully I have interns that, that helped me out. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, I think just, just having the mentality that that is not essential to, to my identity. Um, and then also just just shifting the workouts um, with the pandemic happening and, and not necessarily having the option to be in a weight room. I've historically never been a fan of body weight circuits. Uh, they are probably my least favorite thing. I'd rather hike. I'd rather walk. I'd rather bike. Um, so I, my husband and I did, um, we both purchased uh, like racing road bikes. Um, so definitely that was a, a good tool. Um, we were training for a sprint triathlon. So swimming was a great option until the pool shut down. Um, <laughs> so, so a number of strategies that had to shift, but then getting back into it, I think that was one of the toughest parts. Um, about a week after I had Lene, um, I was like, I'm just, I'm just going to go walk to the park. It's about a mile. Fine. On the way there, on the way back, there's a couple Hills. I didn't really notice them when I was walking there and I, like had to stop and rest like with my weight on the stroller. It was that bad. And I, I felt like I was going into the pregnancy pretty fit. Um, I worked out frequently, um, but that was a humbling point. And, and it honestly kind of set me back a few weeks. Um, and, and I had to just sit on the couch, which is also one of my least favorite things to do. Um, but just being, being patient with myself. And um, I know, I don't know if listening to your body is the right word um, or the right phrasing, um, but really just for me realizing that just because that was my past PR, um, it, it, that, that can't be what it is now. Like basically I had, I need to think of myself as a severely injured athlete. I had surgery, I had, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and so I think in that way, it's, it helps me relate to injured athletes. I know what it is to, to know what it feels like to be strong, to know what it feels like to be powerful. And then to all of a sudden be back to square zero. Yeah. Um, and to, to really, um, you know, feel comfortable walking around the block. Literally it was a couple of days after she was born 
and I wanted to go on a walk. So my husband's like, okay, okay, we can go. I'm going to carry her. You're just going to just walk. And I made it my goal to go to the end of the block. And then halfway, I was like, uh, how about this? How about this flagpole? And then we turned around. He's like, I'm glad you said it. I wasn't going to say it. I didn't want to make that your limit. Yeah. Um, but that's literally where, where he started off. So just giving you the warning, you know, with your wife. So yeah. just, <laughs> yeah. just may, maybe, maybe hold her back a little bit, um, especially, you know, for those who like to work out. It's, it's not fun to, to be told to sit on the couch. I know with athletes, we experience that all the time, too. Um, but just letting yourself recover is a big piece of it and, and letting time heal and, and then getting back into it. Um, but setting realistic goals and, and realizing that it's not, you're not just going to pop back, um, to what you were before, but it takes time and progression. Just like, you know, we work on with our athletes. We're not going to throw them under the bar, um, with their max on, on, on day one necessarily, especially if they're freshmen. Um, so, okay. You know, they could do this in high school. Well, maybe that wasn't actually full depth. Maybe that wasn't actually your true number. So we're not going to start there. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I love to hear that. And, you know, sp specifically the identity piece, right? Like, you know, and for athletes, you know, they may identify with maybe certain numbers or certain feelings of how they can operate, right? And especially strength coaches, right? We work in a weight room, we train in a weight room, we're always in a weight room and around that environment. So we do have that, that ability or, or that, I guess, habit to identify ourselves to, Oh, I used to squat, you know, insert the blank, right? Well, I want to get back to that, right? But again, like you said, one, you kind of have to, to, to be patient, you have to keep that perspective, and you have to not tie yourself to that identity anymore. Um, so I, I, I really love to hear that. And then, you know, it, like you said, thank you for the for the advice with my wife after after we have ours of, you know, luckily, we have a little loop. Uh, that's about 0.1 miles outside in a little park. So I'm like, all right, that may be the first one, you know, and there's a couple benches, a couple benches along the way, if we need to take a time out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And so, you know, your, your daughter's almost seven months right now. Um, you, you have her in July and then you go back to work six weeks later. What was that transition like going back to work? You know, cause uh, I'm sure that there are the motherly instincts of maybe wanting to stay home with, with your daughter, obviously. And, and so, and then you have the physical side that we just discussed, right? Are you physically ready to go back and lead these teams again? Right. So what was that, what was that transition like going from maternity leave back in? And, and for those that are, that are listening right now, going back to division one athletics in September, I know this year, things were a little different with, with COVID and, and quarantine and the delay of sports and whatnot, but it's never an easy time to get back in the swing of things, right? During a semester. So talk about that transition going back to, to work and how you approach that mentally and physically. Yeah, no, I think touching on that mental piece first, I think it would have been much harder uh, if I didn't know that I was leaving our daughter with my husband. Um, he was working um, from home. So I, I know that doesn't necessarily help moms that have to go back and put their kid in daycare. That was going to be our reality. And that was what we were planning on doing. Um, you know, and I was only going to be taking those six weeks off regardless, but it just so happened that it was mentally a lot easier for me because I didn't have to drop her off. You know, she, she stayed asleep in her crib and I, and I got a morning picture when he was, you know, walking in or a morning video when, when she was waking up. So that definitely made it, made it easier um, also I really enjoy what I do. 
I really enjoy working with these athletes and, and with the staff that we have. Um, you know, it's not, it doesn't, there are long days, there are difficult days, but, but I really enjoy it. And so, you know, I think it was after the first week I was coming home on Thursday or Friday. And I think I called Anthony and I was like, I love my job. Like, I am so happy to be back. It also was that, you know, I wasn't on campus from March all the way through when it should have been, you know, NCAAs for my teams and, and all of that. So after so many Zoom meetings and, and different ways to try to connect with my athletes over the summer and text messages, it was so fun to be back coaching them and, and seeing them in person. And so because I really enjoy it and it wasn't necessarily a new you know, I, there weren't any new teams. It was established relationships. It was coaches checking up on me. It was coaches giving me the team onesie for Lene and, <laughs> and team gear for her um, and asking how she was doing. So that familiarity of, of coming back to that, that team family really, really made it easier from that mental standpoint. Uh, physically, there were definitely a few moments where I was sitting up for a lift and I had to slow down. Uh, because I was like, Ooh, I probably need to stop doing this and, and maybe not set up a weight room in entirety in 15 minutes. Maybe I need to show up a little bit earlier to this location and, and try to do what I can ahead of time, even if that's working around the other team that's finishing up. Um, so, so there are a few moments, um, like that I got shut down by my doctor for three weeks. Um, and she said to, to not do anything active. And I, kind of smirked and said, okay, I will try my best. Yeah. Um, so, so, um, I did stop lifting for those few weeks, um, and kind of went back to those walks. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of setting up the weight room and, and you know, my, my activity level, just in general, as a strength coach, all of us, like it's different than your average human. So, um, physically and, and mentally, that was, you know, how I approached the fall. Yeah. And, and whenever you did go back, um, what, did you notice any, or did you have any changes in your professional goals or professional values or even personal values for that? And I asked that because I was actually talking to one of my female athletes who said that after she had her first kid, you know, she wouldn't get as bent out of shape about a bad practice, right? Or, or wouldn't get as bent out of shape if she had, you know, one bad tournament, right? It was kind of, uh, you know, after you have a kid, you kind of realize like, oh, wow, okay. Like life is, life's a lot bigger than what it was previously, right? So did you have any sort of shifts in your personal or professional goals and values after you had your daughter in July or even during the, during the pregnancy? You know, I think COVID was actually a time and during quarantine where, we had a lot of time to question our values, right? And, and kind of reassess things, right? So were there any changes or adjustments in that side of things during uh, the pregnancy and then after you had your daughter? I mean, in, in having conversations with my husband, we definitely both questioned like, how are we going to make this work? Um, she wasn't necessarily planned and the, and the timing wasn't necessarily what we, what we had thought. Um, working in college athletics, we were definitely excited that she was due in July, um, that it couldn't have been a better time. My, my sports would be over. So just, just in planning, you know, moving forward, if we have any more, we need to kind of follow a similar, similar schedule. But, um, um, no, I mean, it was, it was, you know, difficult, um, in, in trying to figure that out. Um, 
but uh, I, I got a little sidetracked. So can you repeat that, that section of the question? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just, just kind of, a, was there any change in your personal professional values? Um, you know, whether it even be like finances, right? Was there a little more stress on, on finances? Was there, uh, you know, taking up a side hustle to make sure you guys were right? Or was it, um, you know, I'm not going to get as, as anxious about the, this programming, right? Because now, like, you know, I have a daughter, obviously, maybe the things I used to think were, you know, highly important and caused me a lot of stress. Now, you know, don't cause me as much stress. Were there any shifts like that? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say that I don't let work things stress me out as much um, in that sense. And just coming home, just in general, trying to leave work at work um, when, there, when there's different things um, that are going on. Um, and, and just coming home and, and especially as she's starting to get older, um, just making sure that like, I'm ready and like present and, and, um, just kind of shifting to, I need to, to not let all of that, um, affect my time at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of my professional goals, um, they've stayed, they've stayed pretty constant. Um, I, I've considered different options, worked in private sector for a little bit. Um, but always come back to team environment, college setting. And, you know, I really feel like that's, that's where my, my place is. That's where I'm meant to have an impact. Um, that, that's where I, I do my best work. And um, so in, in that sense, it didn't shift it in, in terms of finances. Um, my husband and I are thankful that we went through a finance class together right when we got married. I would highly recommend doing that for any new couples, especially if you're about to be a parent. That's a, a great idea is to get on the same page with finances. Um, but, you know, just sticking to, to our goals of making sure that, um, you know, staying out of debt, saving for things in advance, and that definitely played a role. So when we found out we were pregnant, making sure that, you know, we had enough saved so that if there was an emergency or um, if either of us had to take a little time off work that we had a little bit of that emergency fund, um, you know, you never know, you, you hope and you pray for a healthy child, um, but really you never know. And so financially we, we tried to prepare, you know, during those nine months, I, I tell you, those nine months go fast, especially yeah. towards the end. It's, it, it just starts to speed up and you're like, Oh, we got to get the nursery. We got to get everything ready. Um, but in terms of professional goals, uh, really just looking to continue to, to make an impact and, and add value. Um, I don't know if you've heard of, I'm sure you've heard of John Gordon, um, recently read his book, One Word, but um, you know that's been my word this year is how can I add value, uh, whether that's at home, um, as a mom, as a wife, or, or at work, how can I add value every day for each of those four teams, for each of the interns that we're trying to help find their way in the field. Um, so that's been kind of my guiding force throughout it all, um, you know, throughout this year, as I, as I try to stay focused, having, having one word and, and how I can add value has really helped me, um, you know, navigate this year and, and becoming a mom and becoming a, uh, you know, adding another team uh, on top of what was already a full-time job. Dive quickly into the the one word exercise that you mentioned, because I, I do follow John Gordon. But for those listeners, I, I think the one word, it, it's a very uh, simplistic way to help formulate your goals, your values, and how you want to approach things. So quickly dive into, into what that is and how you use that. Absolutely. So um, 
typically uh, the idea is to pick a word at the beginning of the year, not that you can't pick it in May or October, um, but typically at the, at the beginning of the year, as opposed to making a resolution or a long list uh, of things that just keep us scattered and feel like we're not really making progress in any one direction um, because there's, there's too much that we're focused on. And so having one word that you can find that applies to different areas of your life um, helps to focus you in. And when, when life kind of has you looking in all these different directions and, and pulling you in different ways, um, it's, it's really helpful to focus on that one word. So just as an example, it's two years ago, my, my word was relationships. Um, so it was tied into work and networking, but, but more so how could I um, develop relationships? How can I invest in relationships from personal um, personal areas of my life to professional. Um, and then the next year it was habits, um, reading you know, Atomic Habits by James Clear, fantastic book, highly recommend it. Um, that kind of set me up for, you know, instilling positive habits in the midst of the craziness of last year. I could have never known in January when I picked that word, how important it would be for the year of 2020. Um, but now, you know, this year going into value. So um, again, it's, it's not just that one word, but how can you make it make sense in your life? So for me, it's how can I provide value to each of my athletes, to each of my sport coaches? Um, how can I provide value at home, whether that's doing the dishes before I leave for work, um, you know, whatever it is. And then also just for me personally, how can I remember that no matter what's going on in my life, like I am valued um, by God, by my family. Um, so that's just the guiding, guiding force so that, you know, typically in the mornings, um, you know, when I'm journaling and I finish up with those 10 things that I'm working towards, I'll write the question, like, how can I add value today? Um, and, and so that it's not necessarily that I, something that I answer, um, you know, with a pen, but, it, but it's something that, that gets me thinking on my commute into work. Um, you know, how can I add value in, in all areas of my life today? I, I absolutely love that. That's, and it's very impressive because I think, you know, like you said, and we've said before, right? There's just a lot of stuff going on in the world of strength and conditioning when you're when you're at a Division One Power Five school, right? You have a lot of teams, you have different administrators, you have obviously all the athletic trainers that you have relationships with. So you have all of these people that you're always communicating with, and now on top of that, you are a mom, right? You have everything going on in the personal life as well. So I feel like that one word exercise helps kind of simplify everything down. Like you said, sometimes we tend to make all of these goals of what we want to accomplish. And we, and if you're not careful, it could turn into a list of 15 things, right? Or these resolutions or goals and having that one word exercise, again, just helps simplify it. Right. And, and then helps you apply a general principle to a lot of different things. So I feel like that's, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely going to start doing that 100% a lot more often. Um, and I just think that that would be something that would help new moms again, try, try, kind of simplify an otherwise chaotic time in their life. So, um, I love that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. Um, and with that, and along with all, a lot of the other things that you've, you've discussed as far as, uh, you know, daily habits, how you kind of approach your work life, um, how you approach your training and, and your, your bounce back after having your daughter back to get physically ready. It is, it's very impressive what you've accomplished and what you've done. Have you had, or do you have current mentors that you currently reach out to that are also moms in the field? 
um, that, that you maybe learn from either, you know, again, during the pregnancy, do you have family support? Um, well, actually let's go with, let's go with like strength and conditioning specific mentors. What other moms in the field have you reached out to or, or known for a lot of years to, uh, kind of pick their brains or even just kind of bounce off, you know, questions or, or, you know, even grievances off of. <laughs> so, so the interesting thing about, uh, that question is, um, from everyone, males and females included, um, especially from females in the field, I've always heard you can't do both. Um, if you want to be um, an elite level coach, you have to pick to be an elite level coach. And, and I heard that, um, you know, from a female strength coach that I really respect. And, and you know, I 100% believe, you know, she was, she was being honest. Like that was her opinion and that was her experience. Um, my hope is that that times are changing. Um, but um, thankfully, I had the opportunity to to meet uh, Mary Kate, who who you just um, interviewed um, on one of your recent podcasts. Um, I met her at the NSCA conference um, and listened to her presentation that she was giving on intern education, which was fabulous. Um, but then also, in her introduction, found out that she was a mom. And so I immediately was like, hey, I want to talk to you afterwards. Yeah. So um, I, uh, I uh, ended up having like a 30, 35 minute chat with her um, about interns, education stuff. And then also, by the way, how are you doing this? Um, so she was honestly um, the first person that, that I had heard of that was trying to do both, at least that I personally knew. Um, I had heard of others. I know um, at the CSCCA conference, um, at the dinner, I, I believe I sat at a table with a few other strength coaches that have been in the field. They were master strength coaches. So they've been in the field for 12 plus years. Um, I don't know them personally, but I, I know there are a few others out there. Um, but she was the first one that I had the opportunity to really chat with and, um, you know, find out how she was doing it. And, and I find it interesting in her story that, one of the reasons that, you know, she shifted gears at one point was that she didn't see anyone um, doing it at, at that point in her career. So um, I have actually had two uh, young strength coaches that are females reach out to me in the last two weeks um, asking to set up a phone call. Hey, how, I, I want to be a strength coach in college. Um, is that possible? Like, I want to be a mom. I want to have a family. So I don't have all the answers. I'm figuring it out. My daughter's only seven months old. Um, but this, this is a path that I feel like I am on long-term. It's one that I'm going to be figuring out. Um, it requires babysitters. Our babysitter's fabulous. She's the only reason <laughs> that I can do what I do. Um, but um, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely something that I was told is not possible. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a narrative I really... Um, would like to hear change, you know, be a part of the change, um, because I, I feel that um, it is something that, that you can do. And though I haven't had necessarily mentors that were females or moms in the field of strength and conditioning, I have recently met a number of sport coaches that, that do have young kids. Um, so through, there's an organization called We Coach. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a women's sport. Uh, coaching organization. So I did a mentorship with them. So I got connected with, um, two coaches, one that coaches at Michigan state, another at Toledo. Um, and so they were really helpful and encouraging as I was pregnant and asking a bunch of questions 
also two of the sport coaches that I work with now at Rutgers, um, have young kids. Um, so the, the head women's volleyball coach, um, has a young daughter as well as the head women's tennis coach has, has two young kids. So I've reached out to them. Um, and, and that's honestly the reason that I was able to take on this, this volleyball program is that I, I, you know, had a very real conversation with the coach and, um, made sure that she understood that if I was traveling with a team, Lene is welcome. Yeah. Um, and she is okay with that. And honestly gave me the idea that she's done it. She's traveled with her daughter and setting up student athlete babysitter at the host site, wherever that is, works out really well. And then you just have to pay for them for two hours, which I had never even thought of that. So, you know, I'm traveling with a team to Michigan. I'm traveling with a team to Maryland and we get a student athlete that the head coach on the opposing team knows really well and trusts. And they watch, they're going to watch Lene in the stands while I coach on the sidelines. So that's something that I never knew was a possibility. Um, and that really comes, came down to um, Caitlin being willing to take that on. And honestly, um, you know, one thing that I found was interesting as I, as I moved to take on that position was that she was excited about the fact that I had a six month old when, when, you know, I was connected with the athletic trainer. So she put in a good word for me. Um, but she mentioned in a conversation we were having with the three of us that, oh yeah, Becky has a six month old and I, I hate myself for it, but I was literally shooting daggers out of my eyes at her because typically in the past saying that you have a six month old daughter is not exactly going to make you the most wanted candidate for a position in this field. And so that's just, you know, that's just something that I've inherited. And, and that's something that, um, you know, you just don't want to say that you have young kids in this profession necessarily. And that's not necessarily right, but it's, it's the state of things um, and how it has been in the past. Um, and she was like, honestly, that makes me want you to be our coach even more because you can be a mentor to our student athletes that want to have families that you can do both. And you can be a strong female figure in their lives Mm -hmm. um, and I want that for this program. And so that was like mind blowing, but so awesome. And so I think it, it takes people being in positions of leadership. It takes sport coaches that are moms. It takes strength and conditioning directors that are moms to really open up doors for younger coaches and, and to show this is possible. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it's, you know, just on a, on a very logistic side of things and, and being a mom, because this has come up with my conversations there is a room in our new athletic facility at Rutgers for moms to pump. Okay. So I know we're getting, maybe this is too much information, no. but when I first started, I literally used like the front office of a coach that I was working with because there was no place available. Technically, legally, like that is something needs to be available, but yeah. there is now a room in the new athletic facility called the wellness room. And it's literally meant for moms that are working full time in the athletic department, which I think is fantastic, but it took someone being in a position of leadership or position in the athletic department to need that space for it to be created. If people leave the field too early, that position, like that room never needed to exist. These, you know, these different modifications that are going to make it a better place for females in the field, for moms in the field, if everyone leaves before it gets tough or when they face that resistance, it's not going to get better. It takes people being uncomfortable, going through those hard moments to allow for change. Um, so that was a little bit, a little bit of a rant there, but I, I feel very strongly about that. Um, it's definitely not easy 
but I, I think there is so much value that we have to give as parents, as moms, as dads in this field. Um, and, I, and I don't think this necessarily is just, um, I want to stress that point that it's not just for moms, but I think this field could get better for dads as well. Um, having an environment where it's okay to live, um, I want to stay away from the word balanced, but living a life that is full and having that family aspect as well as a work aspect and doing both at the elite level. So that's why I'm so excited that you have this podcast going because I a hundred percent support the mission behind it. Um, and, you know, would love to continue to have similar conversations with young strength coaches that yes, it is possible. Um, yes, you can do it. Yes. It's going to be hard. And there's going to be days that it, it's, it's going to seem impossible. There was one really hard day about three months in, um, I hadn't pumped enough milk. Okay. I had to go to work and my husband had to meet me in a parking lot off campus because he couldn't be on campus because of COVID. He's not, a, couldn't be on campus. So I literally nursed Lene and gave him the monk, the milk that I had pumped that morning in the car and then said, see you later. Um, and we got through that day. It was a low point. I thought, I didn't reconsider being a strength coach, but I definitely was like, how am I supposed to do this? Yeah. Um, and, and we made it through, we made it to the next day <laughs> and now the next day. And now, you know, another four months down the road. Yeah. That's it's an amazing uh, answer that you just gave. And I can hear the passion in your voice for this, right? Because again, that was the whole reason I wanted to start this podcast was because in order to make, you know, we, we have that question of, how do we make strength and conditioning a more sustainable career, right? And a lot of times people go straight to finances, right? Which is 100% a topic of discussion, absolutely. But you can make all the money in the world, but if you don't have time to make all that money and have a family because the job itself isn't sustainable, right? Or you just don't think it's sustainable, right? Because I was a lot like, yeah, I just heard so many dads say, yeah, it's a tough job to have a family in, right? And I always wanted a family and I was like, well, that sucks to hear, right? But the more and more I'm in the profession, the more the more dads and the more moms I see, they're like, oh, they're actually doing a great job at this, right? Okay, how is that happening? And I think for you and for other young coaches that are, you know, want to be moms or are new moms, you want to see those examples, right? You want to have those conversations. You want to have senior administrators that are also moms that fight for that wellness center, right? That that fight for maybe, you know, in, in a great scenario, extended maternity leave, right? So you can have maybe a little more than six weeks, right? It's, it's those types of things that with these conversations and with, with this knowledge and with these experiences, that hopefully we can make this a more sustainable field for moms, for dads, and then also a more attractive field that people actually say, oh, I can make a career out of being a strength and conditioning coach because I'm not going to have to leave it when my kids, you know, starts going to high school and playing travel ball and I'm having to go all over the place, right? So I think there's, there's so much that we could, uh, that we could continue to discuss and, and continue to unpack with that. The one thing that I do want to go down is that you mentioned Rutgers has the, the wellness facility, right? And that they were taking steps to make it easier for mothers in the athletic department to be a mom and as well as a high functioning professional. Um, this is some, this that one that's great to hear because that's actually, at least in my experience, it's kind of rare, right? Um, and, and I think that's why, you know, Mary Kate said back on episode five that you don't see a lot of uh, female coaches at conferences because they have kids back home right? And they can't just leave. So I guess 
my question for you now is how can we make this better as a profession, right? Um, you know, think about the, the governing bodies, the NSCA, the CSCCA, uh, how can we make it more sustainable for young moms like yourself to be able to follow their dream and, and stay with this job for the remainder of their career while also being a high functioning mom uh, and, and wife for that matter at the same time? That's, that's a awesome question. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack in that question for sure. Um, in terms of conferences, I know I, I listened to, to the episode with MK and Adam, um, and I would agree that childcare at conferences, um, specifically the NSCA and the CSCCA would be fantastic. I happened to sit for the, the SCCC exam um, with a fantastic coach. Um, we, I, we met in the, in the waiting room before we were admitted to, to sit for the practical part of the exam. There's great bonding that happens in that room for anyone that's taken that exam. Um, but we met and then the following year she, um, she got pregnant and she had a daughter, um, and she was at the conference and, and she was there with her scroller, trying to figure it out, trying to, um, be at these talks, trying to network. She was a young coach trying to, you know, get that next job. She was finishing up with a grad assistant position. And I could just see the frustration in her eyes. Like they just, how am I going to make this work? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and since then she has, has left the field. I've had other really promising coaches that I've interned with, um, that, that have fantastic experiences that resumes, are, are highly qualified, okay, for, for full-time positions. They've been grad assistants at high-level places working under not just big logo schools, but fantastic mentors. And yet they've chosen to leave the field because they don't think they can do it um, because they don't have those people that have shown that it's possible. Um, and so I definitely think having childcare, A, at those conferences, but then also um, on campuses. And this is something that I, I don't have a perfect answer for, um, but the, the solution that our, our head volleyball coach provided a, of having babysitters be at the host locations, you know, made me think, hey, could this be something where there literally is a child care center in the athletic department area for all of the host coaches, um, kids, uh, you know, even, even if it's a, you're playing a home match, yeah. if you have a 6 p.m. start time, daycares aren't open. Like that's, that's beyond aftercare. Yeah. Um, so having, having those childcare with like a drop-in policy, um, so that, you know, it's staffed by, by students, um, and, and whether that's, you know, the, the host locations, kids or, um, the visiting, you know, they can travel with the team, they can fly with its team, but they are cared for during the actual competition. Um, the rest of the time when you're traveling with a team, you're at the hotel, you're eating, there's not too much going on. Um, but, uh, you know, during the competition, there's a place for them, you know, with qualified people, you know, they have background checks. You can feel comfortable that your kid is in a safe place. Mm -hmm. I think that would be another, um, helpful solution. I know there's a lot of logistics to work through, but I think those two areas providing childcare when traveling and also for coaches during, um, you know, during those evening hours when, when typically we're having our competitions as well as um, at, at conferences so that 
females can not only attend, but be there and, and speak. I know I've heard of, of complaints of not enough females are available to, to be speakers. We have a lot going on. Um, but if, but, but if like, that's an, that's an excuse on, on our end as well. Like there, there are things we could do, but to make it financially more possible, if these organizations value women in the field and feel like we have something to offer, yes, we can take care of things on our end. Yes, we can pay for it on our end, but taking away some of those barriers to entry would be very, very helpful in allowing young coaches to not get to that point where they decide to pursue a degree in psychology or they decide to go and you know do something else because they want to be a school counselor or they want to be a high school coach or they want to do something else um, when they are highly qualified and could make such a big impact with these college student athletes. They have the qualifications, they have the drive, they just literally don't think it's possible. Yep. Yeah, 100%. And again, creating these narratives and sharing these stories that, yes, it is possible. And here's how you can do it, right? And kind of laying this out, right? And, and like you said, right, there's no like one way to do it, right? But from the more moms that you can see that are doing it, the more pieces that you can pick from each one of those and see if that helps your, your current situation. Right. And then therefore, if we can create, it's, you know, it's almost like a, it's almost like a talent pipeline, right? The, the deeper and, and longer we can create that pipeline down right now, we can get undergraduate interns in there that know that when they graduate, they can make a, a profession out of this. They can make a career out of this and, and make it very long lasting because it is an extremely rewarding career uh, to be a part of. And also based on what I've seen with, with other head coaches I've been around, it's a really rewarding career to raise your kids in, right? Because of how many things they're exposed to, how many people they're exposed to, uh, you know, people of different backgrounds, athletic abilities, uh, thought processes, right? Like there's so many people involved in athletics, whether it be collegiate professional, that it's a really awesome environment to have kids around, right? The next step is just making sure that that's sustainable, right? So that they can do that for an extended period of time, you know, hopefully until they're up and, and maybe they play in that same college that you work at as a strength coach. That would be incredible, right? So that's kind of like every collegiate strength coach's dream with, with, with their kids, I feel, right? So, so making sure that we start to address this again on a profession wide. Um, last question for you, because I know you're on East Coast time and I know it's, it's a little late over there. So, um, and it goes hand in hand with what we're discussing now, you know, uh, based on what the volleyball coach told you whenever you were discussing the position, right? She wanted her athletes to see you as an example of, you know, hey, like this is a mom. This is a mom of a six-month-old child, right? And and set that example for these young female athletes of, oh, hey, like this is this is pretty awesome to see a hardworking mom who's balancing all of this and still giving her all to this volleyball team. And applying that to, to kind of the macro there is how do you, how do you want to become that mentor for other young coaches, right? Obviously you want to set that example. Um, you're a very passionate person when it comes to that. What are your goals as you go through this profession in order to affect change and positively affect both your female athletes, as well as your female interns that you have coming into your program? Yeah. So answer to that is just on an individual basis. Um, so I love being a part of our, our internship program and really just shaping that 
Um, and we've had a number of, of female interns uh, that, that have come through it and that have definitely asked me, hey, how, how are you making this work? Um, but I hope to just show by example that, that it is possible. Um, and if there are other ways, um, you know, if I think, I think this opportunity, this platform that you provided is a great option. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not hiding, but also I, I do have, you know, my teams, my, my interns, go, you know, everything going on, um, but definitely willing to, to have those conversations um, and continue to, to lead by example. Um, there's definitely um, hard days that are, that are coming and, and, you know, hard choices to make and, and different things, but I'm, I'm committed to this field because I feel like this is, this is who I am. Um, you know, this is who I am meant to be. This is the field where I have the best opportunity for impact. Um, so I, I do have, and I, I actually sent some ideas over to MK the other day. I do have a book that is in the very, very beginning stages. Um, so not necessarily having anything to do with being a mom or, or females, but more so the influence that coaches in, in general can have on student athletes' lives, whether that's in a positive way or in a negative. And, um, you know, like that, that very influential relationship, um, between coaches and athletes. Um, so in that way, getting my voice out there, um, as an author, uh, and a strength coach doing what I do at, as an elite, as a level as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, so continuing to just press forward and, and be the person that, that people can look to and, Hopefully, you know, when I have someone eventually kind of coming back full circle, when I have someone in my office asking, can I do both? I can say yes. And here's how, yeah. um, instead of no, that's just not, not a reality. Um, whenever I'm told no in general in life, uh, that's a very motivating factor for me. <laughs> and I try to prove people wrong. Um, so, um, yeah, just looking forward to, continuing to navigate it and figure out how to do this uh, one day at a time and, and show others the way and, and be vocal about it. Um, you know, I, I haven't done, done the best job. I haven't reached out to the NSCA or the CSCCA. You know, I've seen these situations, but until you ask that question, um, you know, I've seen colleagues leave the field, but I haven't done anything about it. Um, and so maybe that's just an important place to start is, is realizing we're seeing this happen. Okay, what what can we actually do? You know, asking these questions is good, um, but you know, what emails can be sent? What phone calls can be made to the people that, once again, like those people in those leadership positions are the ones that can make the change. Um, so I think I think it starts starts with us asking those questions, noticing those things that that need to change, and then getting it in the hands of the right people that can make those decisions at the higher level. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic point, and like you said, just kind of going straight to the top with it, right? Right. What to make the organizational profession wide change, uh, head straight to the top. But but I, I really do enjoy that, that you immediately brought up kind of leading by example for your young female athletes, right? And showing them, and, and I think a big part of that too is the consistency of it, right? Of you know you're gonna have good days, you're gonna have bad days. Like like you said earlier in this podcast, you're gonna have that day where it feels like that walk up the hill when you, whenever you're trying to go to the park, and it's like, 
well, dang, that sucked. Right? So, you know, you're, you're going to have those times, but again, about just consistently, consistently pushing through. Um, and, you know, if you watch the Super Bowl on Sunday for anyone listening, they did that piece of the increasing presence of women in the NFL, whether it be referees, position coaches, strength coaches, up in administration. Um, you know, it, it's a much bigger conversation. And as a male strength coach that has been in this profession, we need more female representation. And it's very rare that I have found uh, a, a female at a high level that was you know, kind of bringing something negative into the profession in any way, right? It's always a great perspective that they bring, right? It's always a great dynamic to have amongst the staff rather than just having, you know, six dudes hanging out in an office, just talking about lifting weights, you know what I mean? So, I, you know, uh, we, we need more of this in the profession, right? And in my opinion, and like you said, it has to start at the very beginning where these young female coaches know that, okay, if I get into this because I love doing, doing this job, I can make it like I, I can make it as a mom. I can make it as a wife. I can make it as a family and professional driven individual. And there is that, like you said, you know, the word balances, there's really no balance. It's much more seasonal and kind of this ebb and flow of stuff, but it's, it's much more possible and it's more possible because of the leaders that have done it before you, like you, like a Mary Kate fight and like several other women that, that are moms in the profession, but you know, they're probably just too busy to always talk about it as of right now. You know, that's what, that's what MK said, right. You know, she's just so busy. So I really, really appreciate your time today. This is uh, I, I'm really excited that I was able to get you on here. I'm really excited about the mom strong podcast episode one right now. Um, and I'm really looking forward to getting other moms on this podcast. I think, you know, wh whether you're a mom or a dad, right. Knowing that this is a, this is a profession that is sustainable for an entire career um, is very important. And then how you do that, right. That's why we have these episodes. So coach, thank you so much for joining me tonight on the mom strong podcast. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.